At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey, more from Evo. Welcome to Love Las Vegas for Ghost Ghost with myself, Greg Peterson. Now part of the Beast and Family Podcast, we've got a great podcast for you Joining main segment number two is one of our good friends, Rob Donaldson, who does great work with the show slash podcast, Rob's Best Bets Show. He's going to be joining me, and we're going to be chatting with him about what he's identifying for Tuesday. I also do want to get a little bit of his perspective with us now in pretty much mid-February in terms of college basketball season, if there still might be a little bit of value trying to take a look at teams that maybe they've gotten a little bit unlucky slash unlucky. Maybe they're looking different now to the positive or the negative than they did at the beginning part of the season because we see it every year. A few teams, they get off to really odd starts and then they fade and vice versa. Teams get off to slow starts and they ascend and we're also going to get some angles for these games on Tuesday. In the final segment, going to get you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Tuesday as we hit some bank shots. If you do have a question, comment, segment, idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter slash X timeline at gn underscore d1. Keep in mind letters EM. Name me does not matter. So as per usual, please we send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to fire on whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Do I have to do this before some of the games for Monday are complete? So if we do see anything harebrained that happens in the late Monday slate, I will clean that up on the podcast tomorrow since the Greg Peterson experience on Visa, the Sports Bank Network. That is now from midnight to three Eastern time. That is nine to midnight Pacific time. So let's take a look back at everything that we got on Monday. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. Just barely, Duke is able to get the cover on Wake Forest as they're able to get this done 77 to 69. By the way, total on this game climbed from like a 152, 152 and a half overnight up to 156. I really did not understand why that was. Duke has actually played now 13 out of their 24 games as far as the season to the under, but Duke is able to do a very solid job being able to get this one in as for Duke, they were able to do a nice job of being able to guard the three-point arc against Wake Forest. Wake Forest shoots just 23% from distance. They were able to get a relatively good performance out of Hunter Sales, who had 22 points. He went 2 of 5 from 3. 
Guys not named under sales, they went 4 of 21 from the outside. For Wake Forest, they actually were able to win the turnover battle 13 to 9, but I know it was just too much. Tyler Filipowski coupled with one Jared McCain. Both of these guys had 10 rebounds apiece, a combined 38 points. They completely took over the game, and for Duke, they only go 7 to 25 from three-point range themselves, but won that rebound battle 41 to 37, so Duke continues to roll. They're able to get that one done. Currently, as I'm recording this, the two Big 12 games are going on. We pretty much know the outcome of this one. TCU is currently up 77 to 57 with about three minutes and change remaining. As it looks like it's just going to be another loss for what has been a lost season for West Virginia. Unless if they make a nice charge here, as they close as about a 12 and a half point underdog, they are going to fall to nine and 15 against the spread. And TCU is going to ascend to 14 and 10 against the spread. They've been able to do a relatively solid job for West Virginia right now. They're just really playing some inefficient ball in general. 18 made buckets on 18 turnovers. You've got Raekwon Battle just hoisting up shot after shot. 17 points on 14 shots for him this far with a trio of turnovers and Kirk Reese. Six turnovers as I record this. That is a little bit far from terrific. This has been pretty terrific if you've been taking a look at this angle, but did not come through on Monday. New Orleans is currently 14 overs to six unders as far this season, but they were very underwhelming against Northwestern State. And Northwestern State all of a sudden has been able to pick it up a little bit. 70-59. to 59. They get the win and it's about a two and after a three-point favorite, they're able to get the cover as for New Orleans. 17 turnovers on 20 made buckets. You had out of the fold in this one, by the way, top scorer in Jordan Johnson. Johnson has been averaging 21.5 points per game. If you look nationally, he's actually the number seven scorer in all of college basketball. That really impacted New Orleans in this one, and this was a very last second one. Honestly, I had no idea that he was going to be out of the fold. It felt like nobody did. And James Glisson the third, who came in for Mercer, he expected a lot out of him. He added as many points as myself for New Orleans in this one. So that was a little bit of an issue there. We had a lot of swack and we had a lot of meak and selfless action on Monday. But we also had a Patriot League game and this one was intriguing with Lehigh. In overtime, being able to get it done against Bucknell by kind of 71 to 63. Bucknell has been a all over the place team thus far this season. Both of these teams shot just 35% from the floor, but Lehigh is able to get it done, and they've been an interesting team against the spread all season long. It's been a little bit of a roller coaster ride for them, but now they're 13 and 8 against the spread, so they've been able to make you a little bit of coin. McNeese has been just a complete and utter bulldozer on the Southland thus far this season. They have only taken one loss within the conference, and it was the buck kicking of the night. 105 to 54. They absolutely land base. Houston Christian as about an 18 to a 19 point favorite. Houston Christian, by the way, 11 8 and 1 against the spread. And McNeese is actually 11 and 9 against the spread, but did not look like it in this one. For McNeese, they go 15 out of 32 from three point range. You're able to have Shahada Wells, Christian Schulmate, Ontavian Cullen all give you 13 points apiece. And for Houston Christian, they had 19 turnovers and 13 made buckets. That is very difficult to overcome. Meanwhile, one of your your top under teams in all of college basketball, they keep it going. And that would be Texas A&M Corpus Christi. They have now played 12 unders, 6 overs, and a push. They do lose in this one to Nichols, though, by kind of 67 to 63. And additionally, this has been a really good team with regards to recovery rate. Texas A&M Corpus Christi now 15 and 5 against the spread. As for Corpus Christi, the main kryptonite that you do have with the team is their offense. They had 22 made buckets, but they only shot about 38.5% from before and won 13 of 22 at the free line. Meanwhile, for Nichols, they had a very nice duel in this one, be able to go off as you were able to have Deontay Smith 
couple with Mr. Robert Brown III combined for 38 points and these two guys want to combine 7 of 13 from 3 point range for Nichols to be able to get the job done in that one. Currently recording this as Kansas versus Texas Tech is at the half. The DK Network right up pick was on the under so if we can avoid north of 80 points in the second half that'd be tremendous but most of this out on Twitter slash X and I'll say it once again here. Kansas without Kevin McCullough in the fold look about as offensive as Ned Flanders. In that first half they went 9 of 26 from the floor and Texas Tech 14 of 26 overall from the floor and 8 of 14 from 3. Now we're going to know the results of this one this uploads but I would say that Texas Tech probably going to see a little bit of shrinkage with regards to those shooting numbers in the second half but Texas Tech did enter into the night with 15 overs to 8 unders as far this season. This has been a very good over team with Dayron Williams in that first half being able to supply 12 points so we shall see what happens there. Another team that has been incredible to the over this far this season that would be Arkansas Pine Bluff currently recording this at the half as it is 39 to 36. Closing total was in that neighborhood about 156, 156 half so in the balance there, Arkansas Pine Bluff may have played 66.6% of their games to the over, 12 overs, 6 unders, and a push thus far this season. So we shall see what the result is going to be there. And for Southern, if you took the opening number with them, it went over. The closing number went under as this closed right around about a 136 total, 73-62 to 62 the final. Southern on closing numbers now 14 unders to 7 overs. So they've been a nice under team. The team that they played Alabama State, 13 unders to 8 overs thus far this season as well. But Southern they're able to get it done right now. They're looking like perhaps a team to beat out there in the swack as well. So we shall see what we're able to get out of that conference moving forward. And hey, at the half, might not be the case when the game ends, but Mississippi Valley State hanging in there. They are currently trailing Alcorn State by a count of 36-33. So we shall see what gems lie ahead there. And the gems of college basketball right now have been taking a look at home underdogs recently. Overall for the season for home underdogs, it's been rough. They are 548, 558, and 18 against the spread, hitting at just 49.5%. Meanwhile, overs. They have been overwhelming in college basketball thus far this season. 2,085 overs, 1,973 unders. That's a 48.6% hit rate to the under, north of 51.3% to the over. Meanwhile, if you look at the last seven days in college basketball, home underdogs, 58-47-1 against the spread. That is north of 55%. Meanwhile, the overs are at 162 in terms of the overs, 152 unders, and I believe about six pushes along the way as well. So that's what we're seeing college basketball right now and that's what we all got on Monday. Now let's turn it forward to Tuesday and let's get some great betting angles and some analysis from our good friend Rob Donaldson who does great work with the show slash podcast Rob's Best Bet Show. He joins me next right here on Best Guess Eats with myself Greg Peterson now apart from the Music Family Podcast. At Bet365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep experts. <sighs> Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. 
sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Got to get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. In just a few taps in the Angie app or clicks on the site. You can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. Renters, you can use Angie too for moving, installations, or cleaning. Angie can even help with extremely specific projects. Just tell them what you need, and Angie will find the right solution for you. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com, or download the app today. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values, premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Got to get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. In just a few taps 
in the Angie app or clicks on the site. You can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. Renters, you can use Angie too for moving, installations, or cleaning. Angie can even help with extremely specific projects. Just tell them what you need and Angie will find the right solution for you. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. And we're back here in Las Vegas for Just Cause with myself, Greg Ips Peterson, now a part of the Visa Family Podcast. And it is always great to be joined by this man. It's Rob Donaldson. He does a great job with the show slash podcast, Rob's Best Bet Show. Go to youtube.com slash Rob Donaldson. He's always posting up his best plays over there. On top of that, over on Twitter, slash X at Rob DFB altogether. He does an amazing job taking a look at this great game of college basketball. I know that he, much like myself, once college basketball ends, does a great job on the diamond as well. And Rob, it's always great to get you aboard, my friend. Thank you. Yep. And as always, Greg, thank you for having me on. Obviously, no more NFL, no more football in general. And that just kind of paves the way. We're, we're, we're not even that far away from March Madness starting up again. I mean, this season has flown by. It's a little bit bittersweet, but this is also where... You know, the money just starts being made, I think. It's just kind of down this stretch run, and I'm really excited for it. I am as well, and when it comes to college basketball, it is starting to be that time of year where teams are coming to the forefront in terms of ascending slash declining, and just how do you take a look at teams in February? Because now we've got a lot of data points on the scene, but are there still a few teams out there that you might be identifying saying, you know what, perhaps they've been a little bit unfortunate this year, and or, man, maybe they got off to a little bit of a rough start, and now they're really starting to ascend, and their numbers are a little bit skewed. Oh, yeah. I mean, it happens every single year. You've really got to be on top of who's ascending at this point in the season. I mean, even last year, we looked at a team like South Alabama, who went all the way to the Sunbelt uh, Championship game in that conference tournament, and you can pick up on that just because they looked balanced. They had good guard play, which really comes into importance down the stretch here, especially you have to have a reliable big. I really do believe that. Obviously, you know, there's a lot of people trying to poke holes in the big men and how valuable they actually are to a team's ultimate success. But I do think you have to have some reliability down low. And if you don't have that balance, I think you get exposed this time of year. Oh, absolutely. And I do think that it's so important to be taking a look at some of these teams that maybe they started fast and they're starting to decline as well. And do you find that to happen from time to time as well? Because I do take a look at a team like in Arizona, for example, who did have a massive win against Colorado. But I do have my question mark sometimes with some of these teams that they get off to really, really good early starts and then they seem to fade away. We did notice that a little bit with UConn before they were able to regroup last season as well. So there are a lot of cases as well where a team peaks very early, then they decline, and then they peak again. That could certainly be a case with Arizona. But how do you gauge some of those teams that maybe captured our attention early on in the non-conference slate, but haven't necessarily been able to duplicate that here over the last few weeks? Yeah, I think one of those teams actually is playing when you're talking about a team like George Washington out of the A-10. I mean, at one point in time, I think they were something like 14-3 and or 13-2. and And since then, they have absolutely plummeted. And they're still carrying a glossy-ish 
looking record, but that team has fallen off a cliff. There's just no synchronization there. And when you kind of are looking at those kinds of teams, you can predict a downfall. And when teams hit a skid, they skid fast. I mean, even look at the SEC and a really high build team that's skidding really fast. And that's a Kentucky who also plays where Kentucky's lost their last three home games at Rupp. I mean, when was the last time that happened this late in the season with a team that's has been as highly billed as this Kentucky squad was for most of the season? So you really got to monitor these skids because honestly, a lot of these teams that are skidding this time of the year don't really end up fixing it all that well. And I'm so glad that you mentioned Kentucky with this as well as joining me on the show. We do have Rob Donaldson does great work with the show slash podcast. Rob's best bets and is joining me on Coast to Coast Hoops. And how do you take a look at that spot that they do have on Tuesday against Ole Miss? Because currently they find themselves as eight and a half point favorites. And for Kentucky, they lose three straight games at Rupp Arena. I mean, the last time they lost four straight, I don't know if it's actually happened. I would think that you'd have to go back to like, the days of when they were actually using peach baskets for the basket. I mean, it's just absolutely insane what we've seen out of this Kentucky team. But how do you gauge them? Because now not only are they the favorites to be able to snap this losing streak, but now they're laying eight and a half against another team in Ole Miss that I feel like they might be in sort of that same boat where they got off to a really good start, but they've been skidding a little bit of late. And if this was a a Kentucky team that I really trusted in terms of their backcourt and just overall balance and veteran leadership like they've had in the past with Oscar Shibway down low especially, then, you know, I would see this eight and a half, seven and a half laying nine points as kind of a reasonable line, you know, in terms of just kind of needing a bounce back at home to right their ship. Well, I'm kind of on the opposite side where I think Kentucky just isn't as good as they were being billed as. And I think they're still carrying a lot of that notoriety. And with a team that's as big of a brand as Kentucky, there's always going to be action on that side, especially when they're at home. And so I don't think that this line is really indicating a Kentucky blowout. I just think that they just expect action no matter what on Kentucky. And for that reason, I really do think Ole Miss is carrying a lot of value coming into this game. When it comes to Ole Miss, it's been very much an up-and-down season for them. But when you've got a guy like Chris Beard at the helm, I do feel very secure about them. And how do you feel about just coaching this time of year as well? Because one of the reasons why I do feel like Ole Miss might be able to pick it up a little bit. I don't know if they're going to quite get back to that amazing start that they had at the beginning part of the season. And I think that even they'd be the first ones to admit they got some (laughs) charm luck towards the beginning part of the season. But I look at a coach like Chris Beard, and he is someone that I can trust to be able to get the team to ascend late. And I mean, even though he's won a national title with John Carroll Perry, I think that's very fair to question him. And he's going to be able to get his guys to execute here down the stretch. Oh, yeah. February, March. This is when the coaches who actually have an established culture have been here before can really kind of ease a lot of the nerves and a lot of the expectations that a lot of these teams are fighting. And Chris Beard and how he's handled this old Miss squad after they started off so hot and were carrying so much, you know, pressure coming into non-conf or a conference play rather. It's been admirable. You know, you can say what you want about him out of the court and outside of the basketball world, but in basketball, he is one of the best coaches in all of, all of the sport, and it's really showing up. And you even kind of look at it to a lesser degree and go to like a Rutgers, for example, and look at what Peichel's done over the last few games. I mean, this Rutgers team looked as bad as you can look when they were losing to teams like Penn State by double digits at home and the rack, and then Michigan State by double digits and Iowa by double digits. The last three games, you know, they've gone into Michigan, they won by 10, gone into Maryland, won by three, and then just smoked Wisconsin at the rack. And now they got a ho- another home game coming up against a big team in Northwestern as well. So 
even on like the smaller scale, when you're looking at coaches who have been here, done that, and have a lot of experience within their conference, you're going to find a lot of success this time of year. Yep, you certainly are going to find a lot of success taking a look at these trustworthy coaches. And I do take a look at this matchup, and I'm wondering if these are two very much ascending coaches as well. It's the Iowa State versus Cincinnati game, because I like Wes Miller, what he's doing over at Cincinnati. I like TJ Alzerberger, what he's doing over at Iowa State. And this is one of the more snug lines of the night with Cincinnati between about a pick to a one-point favorite. How do you evaluate a game like this where Iowa State, they're looking to rip the ball away. They're looking to generate a bunch of turnovers. Meanwhile, for Cincinnati, they're another team that's built on defense, much like Iowa State, but they're not looking to rip away turnovers. They're rather looking to get up in your grill and just contest every shot. Oh, yeah. I love the way that Wes Miller's UNCG bunch played, and I love how the Cincinnati team has really taken on those identities of guards who maybe aren't the crazy, long, physical, bulky guards, but are still guys who are going to be willing to contest every single shot and play textbook defense where it's teetering on the edge of, do we call a foul? Do we not? I just love the aggressiveness and that style of ball. And there's some crazy stats out there of how teams and opponents perform after they've played Cincinnati. And it's just not a good looking number. And that's because Cincinnati brings the physicality and down to the roots. Although Iowa state has been putting up 70 time and time and time again, this season, look at that last like five, eight games, they put up, you know, 70 or plus in every single one of those outside of just one game. I really think down to their core, they're a physical bunch. So you've got two teams that are going to be clashing heads in this game. And I really do love taking a look at that under of 137 and a half. I think this is a game that potentially gets played in the 60s. Yeah, and they've already been having this total come downward as we're recording this. This has went down in a lot of places. Sub 137, I'm seeing as low as a 135 and a half. And I'm with you. I agree with the line movement. I personally like this one under as well. So we are locks up there as Rob Donaldson, who does great work with the show slash podcast. Rob's best bet show is joining me right here on Coast to Coast Soups and When it comes to this game, I do think that's one of the more interesting ones of the night. It's the early one. Marquette goes on the road against Butler. Butler's an underdog about two and a half to three points. And last time these two teams played, Marquette was as cold as an igloo. So it's a revenge spot for them after they lost 69 to 62 at home. But how do you take a look at a spot like this where Marquette is going to be out for revenge? But I do feel like Butler has one of the best home court advantages in all of college basketball. And it is a Marquette team that has me a little bit concerned because they're not a very good team on the glass. I'm right there with you. You don't get a a billing like Hinkle Fieldhouse does in terms of just the national scope because you don't really have a true home court advantage. And this Butler team under Thad Mata, I honestly think it's the best teams that we've seen since the Brad Stevens era. Obviously, Holtman had a great run there as well, but I felt like something was always kind of missing with those Butler teams under Holtman, despite having a lot of success in the win-loss department. But I really do think this Butler team is starting to really turn a corner and really starting to potentially become one of those prevalent bunches in the Big East for as long as Thad Mata wants to coach there. And in this game, this is the ultimate spot to prove it. At home, playing your best basketball against a team that you can really solidify your March status on. I think Butler comes to play, and I think they win this thing outright. Yeah, but with Butler, I really like this team as well. I feel like this is the best version of them that we've seen in quite a few years, to your point as well. So I'm in full-fledged agreement on that front. And then when I take a look at this matchup as well, I think that's intriguing. but. For other reasons, because Michigan at one point this year was 3-0, and and I still remember after that win against St. John's, there were a lot of us thinking, hey, this could be one of the better teams in all of college basketball. <laughs> well, that has not happened. They have completely fallen straight down the toilet bowl, and now they find themselves as an underdog 
about 15 and a half points against Illinois. And I know that it sounds like a big number with Illinois, but especially with Doug McDaniel still serving one of the strangest suspensions I've ever seen because he's suspended only for road games. It's really hard for me to take a shot on Michigan, even with getting 15 and a half. Yeah, and the last two times that Michigan has stepped on the road, they've been getting smoked by 20. That's against Nebraska and Michigan State. Illinois is in that same kind of caliber of cloth, and I would say they're even better potentially than both of those teams. When you're talking about Champagne and the Orange Crush and that fan environment, it can be pretty brutal. I do think that it can get to a young team, especially without their star. And you said it. This is a weird, weird kind of sanction that's being placed upon Doug Daniel, where he can't play on road games, he can play at home games. So you have these polar opposite versions of Michigan. And I just don't think you can ever find a real rhythm when you're in that situation. So I think you got to lay it here with Illinois. At the same time, this number is so high that I don't know if I want to lay it here with Illinois, but I definitely think that's the right side. It's a case where this Michigan team, man, they just have not been able to get right for the longest of times. Perhaps 15 might be getting a little bit far to lay it, but boy, it is a very tough team to be able to back at this point, and things just do not look like they're going to be improving anytime soon, but a man that always does improve this show is Rob Donaldson, and Rob, before we give you the floor here, I do want to just ask you if there's any games that we have yet to hit that you do have your eye on, because we've hit a lot of the major ones that we're going to be seeing for Tuesday, but as we know, Tuesdays have some of the highest, I guess you could call it quality per game that we find in all of college basketball. Anything else that's standing out to you? Yeah, I'm taking a look at that Drake-Evansville game in the Missouri Valley Conference, and I'm really liking that angle on Evansville here. Every single year, it feels like Drake at this point in the season has a little bit of a flat game in a road spot that they just weren't really expecting. It's last couple of years, it's been against Valpo, where they've suddenly just been taken overtime by the Crusaders or whatever they're called nowadays. But Evansville is a great spot where they have the offense to potentially, if they can heat up and hit some shots, they can put some fear into Drake and they're getting eight and a half points here. There's a certain thing about being the hunted in a conference for this long where teams are just going to circle you on your schedule every single year. They know what to expect going into this game. I imagine this is probably going to be the most alive that Evansville's crowd will be probably for the rest of the season as well. So I really do like plus eight and a half with Evansville and I wouldn't mind a little bit of sprinkle on the money line, but at the same time, I think I'm laying off and just taking the points as a little bit of a safeguard. So big that Ben Humor Riches is back in the fold for Evansville as well. That team was really scuffling yes. when he was out. He's their top scorer. And ever since he's come back, this team has been able to have a very nice sign of life, but a man that is always very lively, a man that does such great work. Take a look at this great game that we all know and love is you, Rob. Love the good people at home. Know what's all on tap for you and how people are able to follow along on social media and other platforms. And as always, Greg, I really appreciate you having me on. This is definitely the best college basketball betting show out there in terms of just straight analysis. And you're just always on top of it, no matter how big the team is. And for those who are wanting to follow me, you can do so on Twitter or currently X at Rob DFB and also on YouTube at just my name, Rob Donaldson. And as always, Greg, really appreciate it, man. Always appreciate Rob. He does such a great job taking a look at this great game that we all know and love of college basketball. And every single time he joins the show, I feel like we get just a little bit smarter. So big thanks to Rob for joining me on Coast Coast Superstar, part of the Beast and Family Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Tuesday as we hit some bank checks. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off, grand slam, or a base hit to center field. 
Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep expert. <sighs> Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Gotta get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. With just a few taps on the app, you can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. It's your one-stop shop. Angie can help you find the best price for your project by comparing quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. They get the difficulties that can come with home projects. They get it. Why not make it as simple as possible? Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bed 365 21-plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values, premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. 
Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Gotta get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. With just a few taps on the app, you can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. It's your one-stop shop. Angie can help you find the best price for your project by comparing quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. They get the difficulties that can come with home projects. They get it. Why not make it as simple as possible? Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. Here, lovely Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops Peters, and now part of the Visa Family Podcast. It is always great to be joined by Rob Donaldson. He does great work over at the show slash podcast, Rob's Best Bet Show, over on YouTube.com slash Rob Donaldson, doing an amazing job taking a look at this game that we all know and love of college basketball. Every single time he joins this show, he always lends really good insights, so always a pleasure. Big thanks, Rob, for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Tuesday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do you note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter slash X feed at unit underscore D1 and where you're going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This is where we go with the games with three digits on the rotation first, then the games with six digits. Those are going to be at the bottom. That'll be keeping things all nice, neat, clean, and easy, and well, we don't have any extra games, so we're pretty much in time order, so that keeps things even easier than anticipated, and we start things off with my DK Network write-up pick. This is 601-602 on the board, Marquette. Hits the road face off against Butler. Butler finds themselves as an underdog of two and a half to three points. So, on this game between 154 and 154 and a half, my write up is going to be on Butler. If this is up soon enough in terms of money lines, I will just take the money line because I do think that Butler wins this game outright. If not, and typically this is the case, it'll just be me taking like the plus two and a half, plus three, something like that with Butler. But do note that I like them to be able to win this game outright. Marquette has already lost to Butler once. That was on January 10th, 69 to 62 loss. Now, I do not think that Marquette is going to shoot five of 32 from three par range. The way that they did the first time around, well, Butler was 10 of 22 from three in that game. But I do think that Butler is going to be able to cut down on the turnovers. In that game, they had 18 turnovers. This is a Butler squad that is actually 30th in the country in terms of ball control, turning the ball over on less than 17% of their possessions. They do a really good job of being able to take care of it going up against a Marquette team that, while they are 11th in the country, turnovers forced on a per-possession basis. I do think that they're going to have a little bit more of a difficult time of generating those turnovers, unlike 
like a first time around. And for this Butler team, they are a much better defense when they are at home rather than in a roadside shoot record environment. Butler, 139th of the country with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis, but they allow a full 13 and a half points less per one hour possessions when they leave home. They are 85th in the country with regards to their defensive efficiency while they're at home. And Marquette, they give up about nine points more per one hour possessions when they do leave home. The Marquette Golden Eagles as well, just not the same team from distance as we've seen in past years. Now, to the credit of Marquette, this team does a very good job of being able to just keep things in control themselves. They only turn the ball over about 11 times for contest. Tyler Kolek, he's one of the best guards that you're going to find in all of college basketball. Top 10 player in the country in terms of assists per game, leading the team with 17 plus points per contest, and really has been one of their main outside forces as well. A guy that from three-point range has been able to stroke it at a clip of about 40.5% from three, chips in their five rebounds, but part of the issue with this Marquette team is that they just don't have a ton down low. Oso Ogadero has been able to do a very solid job. He's been able to supply the team with a little bit over 7.3 rebounds per game. Only guy in the roster, though, that gives you north of 5.5 rebounds per game, and Marquette 220th in all of college basketball the guards rebound rate. Not that Butler is amazing on the boards, but they're more on 159th. They've got a little bit more balanced rebounding as out of their top five scores, four of them do give you at least 4.5 rebounds per game. That includes their top score in Pierre Brooks, who supplies about 16 points, shoots 41.5% for three, and then Jamal Telfer, DJ Davis, save it able to combine for 29 points, right around about five and a half assists, a 3.2 turnovers, they combine to shoot 36% from three. They've been able to combine for about eight rebounds per game, and then Pasha Alexander gives you about two and a half seals per contest as well, sometimes gets a little bit loose with it, but I do think that for this Marquette team, it's going to be a bit of an uphill battle. You want to see them shooting it better from three-point range, and they just have not been able to connect all season long. They're about at a 34.8% clip. That's 125th in the country. That declines to about 33.7% in a roadside shoot record environment. They themselves allow opponents to shoot 35.2% from three-point range when they are away from home as well. Going up against a Butler team that's more around 35.4% from three-point range. I do think that Inco Fieldhouse lends a very good home court advantage here, so my right up here, that is going to be on Butler. Like I said, typically with these write-ups. I do have to post them up before money lines are available, but I like Butler to be able to win this game outright. Write-up will probably indicate a plus two and a half to a plus three, but I personally will bet this on the money line. I did set my total 151. I do think Marquette is going to be better in terms of their offense this time around, but that said, neither of these teams are necessarily playing at warp speed. Marquette is 41st in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but they're much better on defense when they're at home. So, looking at the under, my write-up, that is going to be on Butler. 603-604 on the betting board. Illinois State. They're in the road. They're facing off against Indiana State. The Sycamores are an 18-point home favorite. Total on this game is 143. I did sell my total at 149.5. I'm going to be looking at the over. It's an Illinois State team that I feel like they've been a little bit overrated in terms of their defense. Like, for Illinois State, this defense isn't bad, but in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, it's not like they're doing anything amazing. And now they have to go up against a top 15 offense in all of college basketball in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. And actually, Indiana State is the team that's giving up fewer points per possession. Illinois State, 160th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Indiana State is actually 85th. And Indiana State is giving up 17.9 points fewer per one hour possessions when they're at home rather than in a roadside shoot court environment. And you just have so much versatility when it comes to this Indiana State team. Robbie Avila is someone that's in 6'10". 
And simply put, does it all. He's able to give you four plus assists. He's able to pop threes at a nearly 40% clip. He throws in there 16.5 points, 7.5 boards. And for Indiana State, this is by far the better rebounding team in this game as well. Other than Brandon Leib, who's been in and out of the fold all season long. For Illinois State, he's a 7-footer that came in from the fighting line of Illinois. They don't have a lot of size. Miles Foster is able to give you about 6 to 7 rebounds per contest. But it's not like this Illinois State team is necessarily batting down the hatches. With regards to rebounding, they're about 107th in the country. With regards to rebound rate, Indiana State, 61st in the country. Also got by far the best score in the game at Isaac Swope, who's been able to shoot 39.5% from three-point range. Throws in their 17.5 points per contest, and Indiana State, just really good balance overall. Out of their top six scores, five of them shoot at least 36.5% from three-point range. You've been able to have Julian Larry throwing their four assists per contest. I really like the overall makeup of this Indiana State team. They're a top 75 team with regards to total possessions per game, and they get to go up against a Illinois State team that has scored 66 points or fewer each other the last five games, but this is an Indiana State team that they themselves, they're just absolutely running it up. They have been able to get to at least 75 points in now eight out of their last 10 games. I do think that they're going to be able to keep it going. I do think that this turns into an up and down game, which Indiana State is able to lay it on Illinois State. I did set my total 149.5. Looking at the over. Do you think that maybe with the 18, we're getting a little bit too far opener on this game with 17? I'm in the middle. I set my line at a 17.5. So I do think that at 18, Illinois State does just enough to be able to cover this number of Darius before being able to give them 13 points per contest. So here at 18, that is my minimum buy point on Illinois State to go with the over semi total at a 149 and a half. 6 of 5, 6 of 6 on the banging board. George Washington. It's a red face off against George Mason. In the Battle of Georges, it is Mason who is a 10.5 point favorite. Your total on this game is 144 to 144 and a half. Semi line at 10. Here at 10 and a half. That is my minimum buy point on George Washington. Now, for George Washington, defense has not been the same when they've been on the road as opposed to at home. Last week, they entered in the week in the top one arm with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis. They have fallen outside that category. And quite frankly, this has been a defense that has been getting quite a bit exposed recently as. They have now surrendered at least 75 points in all but one game this calendar year, and that game was against George Mason, where George Washington was able to win that game by kind of 75 to 62. I do think that George Mason, once again, going to be looking to grind this one out a little bit. George Mason in the bottom 70 with regards to total possessions per game. George Washington, a top 30 team in terms of total possessions per game. So a little bit of a battle of the tortoise in there. George Washington really made a living at the free throw line the first time around, going 21 of 24 at the charity stripe, and I don't think that that slower style actually is the world's worst for George Washington since this is a very top-heavy team. You've got four guys that deliver most of the scoring for the team. Garrett Johnson, Maximus Edwards, they combine for about 26 points per contest with Johnson shooting 40.5% from three. Both shoot 87 plus percent at the free throw line. Then you've been able to have James Bishop be your main scorer. He's been a little bit struggling recently, but 17.5 points, 4.5 assists per contest while Darren Buchanan. He chips in their 6.5 boards, 15.5 points per game. Nobody outside these main four guys averages north of 5.5 points per game, though. You do have a very good rim protector. And Babatunde Bola, who's been able to give you three blocks per contest, is a George Washington team as in the top 35 with regards to percentage of shots that they face that they're able to block. But for George Mason, they should be able to hold up down low with Keyshawn Hall, supplying 8.5 boards, 17.5 points per game. This is a George Washington team that also in a roadside shoot court environment does allow opponents to shoot north of 37% from three points. So George Mason, they themselves are ball outside the top 210 with regards to opponents' three-point shooting percentage as well. But for George Mason, they 
They do have a rebounding advantage here. 49th in the country with regards to rebound rate. 192nd for George Washington. And we got some nice three-point shooters as well for this team. As Dante Maddox, Amari Kelly, they've been able to combine for about 25.5 points per contest. Kelly throws in their six boards along with a block per game as well. George Mason, about 11.8 turnovers per game. George Washington closer to 14, but George Washington, as we know, they play a little bit more of an up-tempo pace. Though for George Washington, they've also been held to 70 points or fewer in three out of their last five games. It is a George Mason team that they've had their hiccups with regards to their offense as well. It's an offense that has gone to 65 or fewer in two out of their last three games, 73 or fewer in three out of their last four. So a lot has to give in this one. I do think that it's a very fascinating spot. I did set my total at 146. I do think that there's a chance that George Washington keeps this close enough for late game fouling. I think that it's slower, but I do think that George Mason executes far better on offense than Simon and George Washington, just not the same defense when they're on the road. Won't take anything north of 10 with George Washington. Made them a 10-point dog in here at the 144.5. Went over semi-total at 146. 607, 608 on the bang board. Duquesne hits the road face off against Dayton. The Flyers of Dayton are a 9.5 to a 10-point favorite. And your total on this game could be getting it at a 136. I did set my line at 9.5 at 10. That is my buy point on Duquesne. Duquesne has really been able to step up with their defense. Now, want to see more balanced scoring on this team as you've got two guys and Jimmy Clark, Day-Day Grant, are trying to put the team on their back. A combined 32.5 points per contest, about six assists. Clark throws in their two steals. They both shoot about 31.5 to 33% from three-point range, but past that, you don't have a single guy on the roster. It gives you an earth of 7.8 points per contest, but this Duquesne team has really been able to step it up in terms of defense. In terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, this bunch has been able to ascend into the top 85 in all of college basketball. Now, they do give up 10.1 points more per one hour possessions when they leave home rather than when they are at home, and Dayton is coming off of a loss against VCU. That was not due to the defense, though. So that was a game where neither team was able to get to 50 points. That was a very, very ugly slog. The Staten team, they have allowed more than 71 points really just two times ever since their multi-team event in the Charleston Classic. So they've done a nice job holding up there. Dayton is a bottom 40 team in the country with regards to total possessions per game. And certainly I do think that with Dayton, they are going to be able to win the battle down low. And you've got Nate Santos, State Ron Holmes combined for about 14.3 rebounds. Holmes gives you 19.5 points. She's 39% from three. And this is a Dayton team that they just really do light it up from three-point chair. Shooting is collective 39.5% from three-point range despite the doldrum game that they had against VCU. This is a top 40 team in all of college basketball in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. And when it comes to Dayton's three-point shooting percentage at home, that ascends all the way up to 42%. They go up against a Duquesne team that has actually shot a little bit better on the road rather than at home. With regards to the three-point shooting percentage, it's around 31.6% from three for them at home. In a roadside shooter court environment, that does ascend to more around 33.7%, but do have to have your issues there. It's a Duquesne team that really not going to force a lot of turnovers and to the credit of Dayton despite the fact that Malachi Smith their main point guard went down night number one you've been able to have guys like Colby Elvis enter into the building and be able to give you about three plus assists per contest this Duquesne squad they can be at a little bit from the outside they allow opponents to shoot about 33.2% from three that's 146 in all of college basketball Dayton they really cut you off from the arc 42nd in the country with that regard and with Duquesne really not being a team that's going to be giving you a lot of second and third chances this Duquesne team when it comes to their rebound rate. They're clocking at about 199th. Dayton, they're more in that neighborhood, about 158th. I do think that Dayton does get it done. I also do think that this is a 
number that's went just a touch too far with the way that Duquesne is playing defense, and this is going to be quite a slow game with the way that Dayton is one of the most low-tempo teams in all of college basketball. So I did set my line at a 9.5. I'm willing to take 10 here with Duquesne. Set my total at 135.5. So you're at the 136. Also diving under. 609, on the bank board. Illinois plays us in Michigan. Michigan is an underdog of 15.5 points. Totals between 153.5 and 154. This is a Michigan team that's in very, very bad form. We talked about this with Rob Donaldson, and I mean, it's tough to take Michigan in this spot, but I'm going to be willing to do so just because the number I feel like has gotten a little bit too far. I set my number at a 14.5, and for Illinois, ever since Terrence Shannon has returned into the fold, this has just not been the same defense. This Illinois team has now given up at least 72 points in four out of their last five games, and they did give up 73 the last time they did play against Michigan. Now, this is a Michigan team that is very much scuffling in terms of just basketball in general, and when you lose a guy in Doug McDaniel, it's able to give you 17 points per contest, leads the team in assists. That's tough, and you have to have Jalen Llewellyn be able to fill in it. Jalen Llewellyn hasn't been awful when he's been filling and I'm not going to say that he's been amazing or anything like that. And I mean, if you take a look at him overall for the season, he becomes an afterthought when you do have Doug McDaniel in the full. But for Jalen Llewellyn, when they were on the road against Michigan State, he had like 18 points, three boards in that game. Last time they were on the road against Nebraska, it was a little bit more pedestrian with eight points, two assists. But I mean, he's been able to do an admirable job. It's clearly a massive downgrade. You have to adjust multiple points, in my opinion, for McDaniel being out of the full. But he still do have guys that are able to hit the boards for this team. Olivier Com. While Lon Terrence Williams combined for about 12 boards, 27 points per contest, and Williams does shoot about 39% from three-point range. They do go up against an Illinois team that does a great job of being a rebound by committee. Illinois, a top 15 team in the country with regards to rebound rate out of your top seven scores, all but one of them do give you at least 3.9 rebounds per game. And for Illinois, they're a much better perimeter defense at home rather than away from home. 29.3% is what opponents shoot from three-point range against Illinois at home. More like 39.1% in a roadside shoot record environment, while Michigan, they are outside the top 300 with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis. On the road, they do allow opponents to shoot 38.3% from three-point range. And now for Illinois, you've been able to get Coleman Hawkins going. Stand 6'10". He's able to give you about 6 boards, 10 to 11 points per contest from three-point range. He's shooting about 38%. Chips in there a block. Nearly two seals per game. Absolutely love his game. You've got Shannon, who's been able to be your main scorer with 20 and a half points per game. But how about Marcus Somas taking some hold of the offense at 6'6", 15 half points, 4 and a half boards, three and a half assists for an Illinois team that they don't really turn the ball over too much. They're a top 100 team with regards to total possessions per game, 11 turnovers per game. I do think that Illinois going to be able to put up a nice number once again, much like they did against Michigan. But like I said, with this Illinois defense, it has been leaking some oil recently. So I do find that to be a little bit concerning. And we have noticed that for Michigan in these road games, they have been really looking to slow things down without Doug McDaniel. As a matter of fact, since McDaniel has been out of the fold in terms of their true road games, they have not really exceeded the 70-point plateau and any of them. So, I did set my total at a 150.5. I do think that Michigan does just enough to be able to hold in there. I do think that this is going to be a little bit more of a slog than anticipated, as Michigan has really been bumping down that temple. So, this is a circumstance where I'm going to be taking a look at this total under, and with Michigan, we'll take 15 plus with them. 6-11, 6-12 on the banking board. Providence plays those to St. John's, and St. John's is a two-point underdog. Your total is 145. I did set my line at 2.5. Not willing to lay anything more than 2, but I'm going to be willing to lay the deuce to this Providence squad, even with having Bryce Hopkins out of the fold for darn near a month. They've still been able to maintain one of the best defenses in all of college basketball and 
The dunk, they're trying to call it a meek at field house, I still call it the dunk, is still one of the best home court environments at all of college basketball. Providence, 24th in the country, turns points a lot on a per-possession basis, going up against the St. John's team that they just are not the same defense when they're away from home. They are giving up 18.4 points more per 100 possessions in a road-slash-shoot-to-court environment rather than when they are at home. Now for St. John's, they're going to have the most dominant big man in this game. That would be Joel Soriano. He's able to give you 15.5 points, 9.5 boards per contest, but what Devin Carter has been able to do for this team has been rather remarkable. Three and a half assists, 19 points, seven and a half rebounds, despite the fact that he's only standing in that neighborhood about six foot three. That has been pretty stinking impressive. And when it comes to the overall rebound rate, St. John's, they should have a little bit of advantage here. But this has been a Providence team that by committee, they have about a 52.7% rebound rate at home. That's a top 125 mark at home in all of college basketball. Meanwhile, they go up against the St. John's team that they should be able to win that battle. They're about 41st. But St. John's, very sporadic with regards to their outside shooting. They shoot about 33.3 percent from three-point range. They out of their top seven scores, you've got two guys that really shoot above 34% from three. One of them is Joel Soriano. Joel Soriano shooting 53.8% from three. That should be coming downward. The other one is, man, that gives you four and a half points per game and Glenn Taylor Jr. Everyone else has been very spotty from three-point range. You've been able to get some good production out of Dennis Jenkins with about five and a half assists per game. And to the credit of St. John's, they're down to about 11.4 turnovers per game. So they've done a solid job taking care of the ball. This Providence defense, so is up and based around generating a bunch of turnovers or anything like that. It's been just good, hard nose, cutting teams off, not allowing them good, clean shots. Providence about 121st in the country with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage. They've done a good job inside the arc as well. And you've got Josh Aduru, guy with size that's able to give you a block and a half, 16 points, seven and a half boards. And then you've been able to get really good production as well when he's been really firing all cylinders with the 36% three-point shooting of Jaden Pierre, a guy that's been a little bit in and out of the fold throughout the season, but feels like he's finding his footing with the offense with three plus assists in each of the team's last five games. I do think that Providence does just enough to be able to get it done. This is a St. John's team that while they have given up 77 plus points in far of their last five games, this is a squad that they've been a little bit lackadaisical in terms of their offense, and this is a Providence team that's still doing a relatively solid job in terms of their defense. They have given up now 75 points or more in three of their last four games, but a lot of those games were on the road for one, and the one game that they did play at home, that was that overtime game against Creighton as well, where things got a little bit harebrained. So I do think that the defense is going to be able to dial it in. I'm willing to lay up to two with Providence, and with regards to the total, I did sub mine at a 144 so you're at the 145, looking at the under. 613, 614 on the bank board. It is Davidson playing host to LaSalle. LaSalle is exploring a cover as a 9-point underdog. And your total on this game is 141F with LaSalle. I did set them as an underdog of 7 points. I'm going to be one to take those points. Davidson has been playing at one of the slowest paces of college basketball. They are outside the top 300 in terms of total possessions. Brave. Defense has really not been great there. 220th in the country. In terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. And Davidson is actually allowing 2.5 points more per 100 possessions when they're at home rather than in a roadside shoot recording environment. Now, for Davidson, you've got a lot of good versatility and you've got a do-it-all player in Grant Huffman who's been able to give you 5 assists, 5 boards, 13.5 points. Doesn't necessarily shoot it tremendously from 3-point range, but he does a relative we saw a job with this group, and part of the uh, just handicap on this game is gauging how both of these teams guard the arc as for Davidson. They've been much better at home rather than on the road. They allow opponents to shoot 31.1% from three-point at home, compared to 34.8% in a roadside shoot to environment where they've really been getting gashed is down low. Meanwhile, LaSalle 325th in the country in terms of opponents three-point shooting percentage, but not bad on the road. They allow opponents to shoot 33.9% from three-point range when they're away from home. That's honestly going to play. Meanwhile, 39% from three when they are at home and 
For LaSalle, this team is very much bereft of a lot of guys here. But hit the glass, I'll know Deshaun Shepard has made. We give you about five and a half rebounds per game. And I do like Rokas Josias, who comes over from Lithuania, who's been able to give you about six or so rebounds per game. But I mean, this team is really going to be built around the backcourt. Jamari Brickus, along with Khalil Brantley, combined for nine assists, three steals, and about 30 points per game. Brickus is your main three-point shooter at 42.5% per game. As a matter of fact, of your top four scores, it's the only guy that shoots above 29% from three-point range. Alex Marrero has now been able to shoot about 40% from three-point range. He's been able to get things going in for LaSalle. They do a very good job of taking care of the ball. 9.6 turnovers per game. That's a top 40 mark with regards to fewest turnovers on a per-possession basis going up against the Davidson team. That they've gotten quite a bit out of David Skogman down low. He's been able to supply the team with about five or so rebounds per game, but he has been quite a bit banged up. We have not seen him since late January. He's probably going to be out of the fold once again, so that's meant that they've needed to get a bit more out of Bobby Durkin, who after a hot start to the season, he's been very hot and cold recently himself, though he's given the team 7 plus rebounds in 3 of the team's last 5 games, but for the Savings and Bunch are about 185th in all of college basketball with regards to rebound right now, LaSalle they're going to lose this battle down low, they're hovering more in that neighborhood about 312th, but it's not like the Savings team has been amazing on the glass, Davidson does do a much better job with regards to executing on offense when they're at home, and they themselves are facing off against a LaSalle team that, though they're not playing at warp speed, LaSalle's more around about 100th with regards to total possessions per game, and they certainly have been giving it up, they ranked 279th in the country. Turns the points a lot on a per-possession basis, so a lot to take in here. I did set my total at a 141, so here at the 141 half, I'm going to be looking at the under. I do think that this game just gets toned down a little bit with regards to possessions, and Davidson has been all over the place with their three-point shooting, so I'm looking at the under, and I could only make Davidson a seven-point favorite, so take the points with LaSalle and the under. 615-616 on the bang board. Texas A&M, it's road face-off against Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt is a 9.0 underdog with your total between 135.5 and 136. I did set my total at a 136-135.5 is a buy point for me on the over, and the only reason why I'm taking a look at the over is that even though Texas A&M has been dreadful with their three-point shooting, they are a bottom 25 team in the country with regards to three-point shooting percentage. Guess what? They go up against a dreadful three-point shooting defense. Vanderbilt is allowing opponents to shoot 37.6% from three-point range at home. That is outside the top 330 in all of college basketball, and this Vanderbilt team has just been a hot mess all season long. In terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, Vanderbilt is well outside the top 250, and it's not like they They've been even better at home. They're only giving up about three and a half points less at home rather than in a roadside shoot to court environment. Meanwhile, for Texas A&M, you just expected a little bit more out of this defense as well. Texas A&M is 93rd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. This is despite the fact that Texas A&M is a top 10 team in all of college basketball in terms of their rebound rate. They've also got Wade Taylor the fourth, who's a guy that can put the team on his back, supplying them with about 20 points. He's able to give out about four assists, 3.7 boards, but not been a case where they've been able to get a lot of three-point shooting all season long, and I do think that Vanderbilt is going to be able to do just enough to hold in this game, because even though they are going to get pummeled on the glass, right now they're at, relying upon Ben Allen Lubin along Tyron Lawrence, who have been able to combine for about 10.5 rebounds, 24 points per game, demand things down low, because Colin Smith has been out really for the entirety of the season. This squad has been able to get some really good facilitation out of Ezra Magnon. Ezra Magnon, 14 points, three and a half assists, does not shoot it well from three-point range. As a matter of fact, when it comes to this Vanderbilt squad, you don't have anyone that's averaging more than five points per contest. 
percentage, shooting about 33.3% from three-point range as Tassos Camateros. He shoots about 35% for the outside. He gives you approximately five points per contest, but for Vanderbilt, they don't turn the ball over. They only give out about 10.5 turnovers per game, so they've been able to do a little bit of a better job there. And this has been a Texas A&M team has cranked up their offense just a smidge. They've been able to get to at least, doesn't sound like much, 67 points in each of their last four games. Meanwhile, for Vanderbilt, this team has been getting cooked on defense. They have now given up 75 plus points in four out of their last five games. So, Vanderbilt, they are certainly giving it up. This is a good get-right spot for the Texas A&M offense, but at the same time, for Vanderbilt, I do feel like they can get a little bit right here as well. Going up against the Texas A&M team, that they do a great job of hitting the boards, but they do allow opponents to shoot about 34.9% from three-point range in a road slash short environment, so I do think that two dormant offenses are going to be able to ignite here. I did set my total 136. They're at the 135.5, looking at the over, and I set Vanderbilt as an 8.0 I'm underdog, so I'm going to be willing to take the Nine I'm seeing with the Commodores and going to be taking a look at this total over as well. 617, 618 on the betting board. It is Iowa State and they're going to be on the road facing up against Cincinnati. Yes, we are on to Cincinnati and Cincinnati is on to being a very slim one-point favorite and your total on this game is 135.5. Seeing a pick'em price out there as well. And I did set Cincinnati as a one-half point favorite. I had a pick'em slash laying a point. I'd be willing to take Cincinnati in this ordeal. I agree with Rob Donaldson in that this is going to be a very interesting affair as we've got two teams that do it just so differently in terms of their defense. Iowa State, a top five team in the country with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis and it's because they're a top three team in terms of turnovers forced on a per possession basis. Cincinnati not quite in the top five in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis but this has still been one of your more rock solid defenses in all of college basketball. Currently they're clocking in about 20th with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis giving up 13.9 points fewer per one iron possessions at home rather than in a roadside short court environment and much of it is due to the rebounding. Aziz Benango, he was the all-whack defensive player of the year last season. He's been able to supply the team with seven rebounds per game. Some like Asimius Lucatius, he stands six foot eight. He's able to give you three assists. He's able to give you like 10 points. He just does a really good job of being able to give this team what they need at Cincinnati. Overall, number seven in all of college basketball in terms of rebound rate. It's an Iowa State team that they've been able to do a relatively solid job on glass themselves, but they're still just 84th. You've got Milan Mibosilovic, who's been able to give you a double-figure amount of Points, shoots north of 40% for three, but at like six foot five, six foot six, really doesn't give you a whole lot of rebounding. And if you're looking to expose the site with state defense, you really, in my opinion, do need to do it from the outside. If you don't turn the ball over, you're able to get open looks. Iowa State is allowing opponents to shoot 38.3% from three-point range in a roadside shoot court environment. And when Iowa State is outside of Hilton Coliseum, this team is starting to give it up quite a bit more as they are giving up about 25.4 points more per one hour possessions in a roadside shoot court environment rather than at home and you've got a Cincinnati team that now has Sadie Thomas who's been able to give you about 10 points per contest so he's been able to ascend though we don't want to make chop liver out of the team on the flip side as well as you've been able to get a lot of good production out of team on Lipsby along Kishan Gilbert these two guys combined for about 27 and a half to 28 points per contest for the Iowa State team with Lipsby five boards five and a half assists three seals per contest on 38% three-point shooting three-point shooting has been a little bit spotty with Gilbert at about 30% but he still gives you four assists per game and it's an Iowa State team that while they take the ball away they don't turn it over they only give you about 10.9 turnovers per game and for Iowa State, we always talk about the defense and how good it is. This is a top 40 offense in terms of points scored on a per possession basis and it's been a pretty consistent offense as well. This squad has been able to get to at least 72 points and now 6 out of their last 7 games. Meanwhile, this is a Cincinnati squad that they themselves in terms of their defense has been rock solid. 72 points of fierce surrender in each of their last 4 games they gave up 74 prior to that against Kansas, a game that featured just a whole bunch of late game following but did semi-total at a 135 and a half. This was an opener 
of 137. I'm still seeing a 136 or two out there as well. And personally, at the 136, still looking to go under in this ordeal. And with Cincinnati, wanted to lay up to a point with them, made them the one and a half point favorite. 619, 620 on the bank board. Syracuse is going to be playing us in North Carolina. North Carolina is a favorite of eight to seven and a half points on the road. So on this game is 156 to 156 FM with North Carolina. I did set them as a favorite of eight at seven half. It's a max I'm willing to lay, but I'm going to be willing to lay with Syracuse. This has been an unsightly and rough defense recently, to say the least. I mean, there was a point where they were actually looking pretty good with their defense. They've now given up 77 plus points each of the last four games. And last time they played against North Carolina, they gave up 103 points. A night where North Carolina, they went a grand total of just 7 of 26 from three-point range. So that tells you how bad it can be for the Syracuse team. Syracuse very much built around turnovers. They're a top 45 team in the country with regards to turnovers for us on a per-possession basis. And they're not the world's worst three-point shooting defense either. For Syracuse, they're about 179th in the country with regards to opponents' three-point shooting percentage, allowing opponents to shoot 33% from three-point range at home. It's not great. It's not awful. It's just sort of neither here nor there. Meanwhile, for North North Carolina, this team has really stepped it up in terms of their defense. They are allowing opponents to shoot 27.1% from three-point range in a roadside shoot court environment. That is a top 20 mark in all of college basketball and for North Carolina. 23rd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but more impressively, when they're in a roadside shoot court environment, they're number 6 in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Armando Baycott has been a little bit hit and miss, and his numbers are actually down from what they have been in ten past years. 14 points, 10 boards per contest. Harrison Ingram has actually become really your most dominant post player for Ingram. He's seen a drop off in the rebounds in each out of his last two games, but this guy had a run of like five straight games where he had 13 plus rebounds in every single one of them at six foot seven. He's able to pop threes at 42%, and then you've got R.J. Davis, one of the most dominant scorers in the country. 41.5% three-point shooter, 21.5 points, 3.5 assists, all while turning the ball over just one and a half times per game. Now for Syracuse, you've got a nice duo in the backcourt in J.J. Starlin, Judah Mintz. Mintz is currently only shooting in the low 30s for three-point range. I do expect that to ascend. He's giving you two seals, 18 points per contest and Sterling, 13 points per game, but Syracuse, they're outside the top 200 with regards to their rebound rate. This is a North Carolina squad that has been a top 40 team with regards to their rebound rate for many, many years, and they are back there once again. North Carolina, 18th in the country with regards to their rebound rate, with Syracuse just having a tough time being able to get good looks from three-point range. I do think that's going to be hurting them quite a bit, and Syracuse has bumped it up with regards to their tempo as well. They're now a top 55 team with regards to total possessions brain. You've got a UNC team that they just still continue to play super duper fast. This team has been just very, very efficient in the way that they've been able to execute as this Syracuse North Carolina team. They've now been able to get to at least 73 points each other last seven games and with the way that they were able to bludgeon Syracuse the first time around. Not sure they're getting to 103 here, but I do think that they're going to be able to do it once again. I do think that things are going to taper down a little bit with regards to the offense. I do think that Syracuse is going to look to slow themselves up. I think that they are realizing the follies with regards to their defense and it's not even leading good offense. 70 points or fewer into other last three games. So I did set my total 154. I'm diving under. I'm North Carolina. One to lay up to seven and a half with them. It made them an eight point favorite. 621-622 on the bank board. Pittsburgh gets the road face off against Virginia. And Virginia is a six and a half point favorite. Your total is 123 to 123 and a half. Made by total 124. I'm going to be taking a look at the over. Pittsburgh has been a top 40 team in all of college basketball. Turns points a lot on a per possession basis. And this Virginia team has some of the biggest home and road spots that you're going to find defensively in the country. They are lying 78.4 points per 100 possessions at home, Virginia is. Meanwhile, in a roadside shoot record environment, that ascends to 105.7 points. So that's a difference, if I did the math correct, of 27.3 points. And for Virginia, they are very much looking to take away the ball, and they're going to be looking to take it away from 
Carlton Carrington. Carrington, to his credit, he's been able to do a nice job of being able to protect the ball. Pittsburgh has only turned the ball over 9.9 times for contests. In terms of turnovers per possession, they're a top 35 team in the country. Carrington, four assists, five boards, 13.5 points per game. It's a Pittsburgh team that's only shooting about 34% from three. Really, nobody outside of Blake Hinson has been a very, uh, shall we say, consistent three-point shooter. Hinson, 18 points, five boards, shoots 41.5% from three-point range, but... Pittsburgh is getting a lot of clean possessions and they go up against a Virginia team that the way to beat them is down low. Virginia is outside the top 225 with regards to their rebound rate and Pittsburgh has so many guys in the Diaz Grand Brothers and Zach Austin. You're able to throw in there Frederico Frederico that do a really good job down low. It's part of the reason why the defense has been so dominant. This Pittsburgh team is 38th in the country in terms of rebound rate. Now for this Virginia team you've got better facilitation as you've got a pair of guys in Mr. Reek Speakman along with Ryan Dunn that are able but Gitter Dunn and combined four steals between the two of them. Dunn is the only guy, by the way, that gives you north of three and a half rebounds per game on this Virginia team. 9.7 boards. And for Beekman, he's able to give you six assists to two turnovers per game. And for Virginia, they shoot overall about 38% from three-point range. And they're a top 20 team with regards to protecting the ball. They only turn the ball over about eight and a half times per game with Isaac McNeely shooting 48% from three. Jacob Groves is currently shooting north of 50% from the outside as well, which has been incredibly impressive. And once again, those home and road splits, they are very prevalent with regards this Virginia team. They shoot sub 35% from three-point range in a roadside shoot record environment, well above 40% from three-point range at home. And when it comes to this Virginia offense, they just click a little bit in general differently when they are at home. For Virginia, in terms of points scored on a per possession basis, this team is currently 160th thus far this season, but they've been able to generate about 14.3 points more per 100 possessions at home rather than in a roadside shoot record environment. But I do think that with all the size that Pittsburgh has and the way that they protect the ball, that they are going to be able to remain lively in this one. I step my line at six. So at six half, I'm going to be one take the points with Pittsburgh. And both of these defenses are solid, but I do think that there's going to be enough shot making. And I do think that there's going to be late game following to be able to just barely get this one over. I am looking at the over in this spot. I set my total 124 and take a look at the points with Pittsburgh. 623, 624 on the betting board. Evansville plays us to Drake. And the Drake is a favorite of eight and a half to nine points. So on this game, it's 144. Set Drake is a nine and a half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay this number with Drake. This team as the best player out there on the floor. That'd be Tucker DeVries. Tucker DeVries, he just does it all. He's able to give you 20-plus points. He's able to throw in their three assists. He's able to give you six boards, and Drake should really be able to make some hay on the glass. Darnell Brody, he is the best rebounder in this game, eight and a half rebounds per game. You sign Toomey, the gentleman that comes in from Paris, France. He's been able to give this Evansville team right around about six and a half rebounds per game, but Kenny Strawbridge doesn't necessarily have a lot of size. He tries to reel in about three to four boards per contest. He's got versatility, but really doesn't shoot threes. Evansville as a result, 263rd in all of college basketball with regards to rebound rate. Meanwhile, Drake is 83rd in the country with this regard, and Drake is just a really balanced team. They are not really like a top 20 team in any respect of college basketball, but they just execute on both sides of the ball very well. Drake is 29th in the country in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. They're not quite 29th in the country with regards to points allowed, but I mean, this is still a defense that they're clocking in about 54th in the country, and it's been able to travel relatively well. Now for Evansville, big thing for this team, Ben Humor Riches, their top scorer. He's back in the fold. He missed like seven to eight games earlier on in the season and ever since he has come back, this Evansville team has went four and one in the last five games that they have played and with them. So I mean, that is just absolutely mammoth for them. Humor Riches shoots 43.5% from three, block 15 points per game. So he's been able to do a good job. Everyone is just trying to build themselves around him. Chuck Daly has been able to give you nine points. He shoots about 38.5% from three. Evansville, about 12 turnovers per game. Evansville, they're a relatively 
average team in a lot of respects when Hugh Richards is out there. They're relatively awful when he's off the floor. And I will say this about Evansville. 70 points are fierce surrender in far of their last five games. The defense has really picked up as well when Hugh Richards has been out there. And they're going to need every single bit of it because this Drake squad, they are now going into bulldozer mode with regards to their scoring. This Drake team has been able to get past the 74-point plateau in eight out of their last nine games. I do think that Drake is going to be able to take it to Evansville. I think that you just have too much of a complete team with Aiden Wright being able to be 14 points per contest. You've got a pair of guys in Cooper Garland, Connor Enright. They only combine for about 12 points per contest, but they throw in there about five and a half assists. Enright shoots 42% from three points, and Drake turns the ball over less than 10 times per contest. I do think that Drake, with their well-roundedness, gets it done. Set Drake as a nine and a half point favorite, so I'm going to be willing to lay the nine and did semi total 141 and a half. I do think that Drake is going to have a little bit more issue with an improved Evansville defense, but I do think that they bear down on defense as well. So look at the under, and I'm going to be willing to lay it with the Drake. 625, 626 on the bank board. It is Northern Illinois playing us the Buffalo. Buffalo is a 7 to 7.5 point underdog with your total between 149.5 and 150. They make my total 150. So here at the 149.5, I'm looking at the over. This Buffalo squad has just been rudderless and it has been sad all season long. They've just not been able to forge an identity. You've got a freshman in Anquan Bold Jr. in the backcourt that has been able to shoot in the mid 30s from threes. able to give you about seven points per contest. And Janamia Smith yells in there about nine rebounds per game. But despite the fact that he and Cy Chapman do a good job on glass, Chapman gives you 12 plus points right in the neighborhood about six rebounds per game. This team is outside the top 250 with regards to their rebound rate. Now they do go up against the Northern Illinois team that they themselves are well outside the top 225 with regards to their rebound rate as well. So that should be a little bit helpful. But I do think that being able to get back the uh, foreign gentleman that has been able to do a good job for this Northern Illinois team of being able to give you 2.2 blocks, right around 5 boards, 7 points per game, and Yannick Conan-Niederhauser is going to be very big for them. It's a Buffalo team that's about 123rd in the country, by the way, in terms of total possessions per game, Northern Illinois. Their team, as they're looking to run it and gun it, they're 72nd in the country with regards to total possessions per game. But for Buffalo, North of 14 after North's game, it's a bottom 50 team with regards to ball control. Meanwhile, in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, 339th in the country. Buffalo actually gives up fewer points per possession in a roadside shoot court environment rather than when they are at home. And they go up against a Northern Illinois team that they're 332nd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. But the key here for Northern Illinois is that they've got the most dominant scorer in this game. That'd be David Coit, 19 points, shooting 34% from three par range. They've been dealing with a little bit of an injury to Zarek Nutter, but he's been able to come back and in the games that he has been out there. 15 plus points for the team's last five games. He's able to supply you with about five and a half boards per contest. Doesn't as he shoot it well from three, but that's why you've got someone in Xavier Amos who's been able to shoot about 38.5% from three. Throws in there about 13.5 points per game, and both of these teams have been pretty rough from the perimeter as well. This Northern Illinois squad gives up a whole bunch of wide open threes here in 39th of the country. With regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage, has sent a 37.8% when they are at home. For this Buffalo team, they are about 286th in the country with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage, though. That does tip to about 33.5% in a roadside church corner environment, and I do like the versatility that Isaiah Adams has been able to lend. He's missed quite a few games this season, but he's been back to the full, give you 13 points, 3.5 assists, 4 boards at right around about six foot six. so he's been able to give this team some nice little versatility, but all in all, it's a Buffalo team that they shoot 26.5% from 3-point range. That is a bottom 20 mark in all of college basketball, so I do think the Buffalo going to be fighting 
fighting an uphill battle. This is a circumstance where I did make my line six, though. I just can't get behind Northern Illinois being this big of a favorite with how badly they have stunk. And there's our pair of defenses that they're certainly giving it up. And I do think that this is going to be a game close enough for late game filling. And I think it's going to feature a lot of possession. So a circumstance where I'm going to be looking at the over semi total 150. And here at the 7 to 7 half, taking the points with Buffalo made them a six point dog, 627, 628 on the betting board. Florida plays host to LSU. And LSU is a 10 to a 10 and a half point underdog. Total last game, 161 to 161 half. Did set my total at a 165. I'm looking at the over. Florida does really seem to be putting it together in terms of their offense. I do like the backcourt duo that you've got in Zion Pullen, Lonth Walter Clayton, combining for about 31.5 points per contest. Pullen has become that main facilitator like he should be. Five assists, a 1.2 turnovers per game, all while he and Clayton combined to shoot about 37.5% from three-point shot. All in all, for Florida, they only shoot about 33.7% at the free throw line. They're not really a team that does a great job on their first opportunity, but Florida is a top 15 team in all of college basketball in terms of percentage of missed shots that they do grab as an offensive rebound. And this Florida team is just a completely different defense when they're at the swamp rather than on the road. For Florida, they allow opponents to shoot 26.6% from three-point range at home in a roadside shoot-to-court environment. That does ascend to 37.8%. This is an LSU squad that they themselves, in terms of their defense, it does take a nosedive when they're on the road. They're giving up 12.2 points more per 100 possessions in a roadside shoot-to-court environment rather than at home. LSU overall 157th in the country in terms of points allowed per possession. Florida is about 143rd, but they do improve by about 13.1 points more per 100 possessions when they're at home. Meanwhile, this is an LSU team that they do allow opponents to shoot 37.5% for three when they're away from home as well. And There's just no way that LSU is going to be able to match up down low with the Florida team that is in the top 20. With regards to the rebound rate, Tyree Samuels able to give you eight boards per contest. Micah Hanglon, Alex Condon, about 14.3 rebounds per game. Uh, these two guys and Riley Kugel has been able to come along for the ride with about three and a half boards, 11 points per game and LSU just doesn't have that main facilitation to help them out now. Jordan Wright has become Mr. Wright for the team. It's up to about 2.7 assists, 2 steals, 15 points per game, and has really been able to take a little bit more hold of the offense. He's given out three, 13 assists in the team's last four games. I really like the way that he's become so well-rounded, but for LSU right now, your top rebounders are Wright, along with Will Baker, who give you both five rebounds per game. Been able to get some good production out of Jarius Cook ever since he became eligible. About three assists, 16 points per contest, and LSU does shoot 35% from three, but they also do turn the ball over about 15 times per game. Not that this is Florida team is really being a heat-seeking missile and trying to zone in on turnovers, but for LSU, they have now given up 88-plus points in three of their last four games. The lone exception was giving up 74 against Arkansas, and Florida is just getting to the 80s on a regular basis. For Florida, they have generated at least 79 points in all but two of their games since the turn of the calendar, so I do think that this is going to be a high-scoring affair and an up-and-down game. I did set my total 165. I'm looking at the over, and with Florida, I did set them as a favorite of nine points. I think that the 10 is going a little bit too far because this is a Florida team that they can give it up from three-point range. I do think that those home and road splits with their three-point shooting defense, they do sort of iron out a little bit. And I do have a few concerns with this Florida team and the way that they have been giving up points as well, as I do think that this is going to be an up-and-down game. So, we'll take the 10-plus here with LSU and looking at the over. 629, 630 on the betting board. Creighton is going to be playing us to Georgetown. Georgetown, a 17 to an 18-point underdog with your total between 150 and a half and 151. And with Georgetown, I made them a dog at 18 points. Here at the 17 that I'm seeing, I'm going to be willing to lay it with Creighton. Now, Creighton has been 
shall we say, all over the place in terms of their offense. It's still a top 30 team in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, but it's a very top-heavy team. Granted, a very good top-heavy team. You've got three guys, Trey Alexander, Ryan Kalkbrenner, Baylor Shireman. These three guys, they've been able to combine for about 52 points per contest. Each one of them gives you at least six points per contest. Shireman and Alexander combined eight and a half assists and two steals per game, while Shireman shoots 37% for three, and Kalkbrenner is 2.7 blocks per game. That's a top-10 mark in all of college basketball. What I would like to see is a little bit more out of Fran Farabello. He's been seeing some minutes, but hasn't necessarily given you a lot of production. You've got a nice sharpshooter. Mason Miller has been able to shoot about 45.5% from three-point range, and it's just been hit or miss for him. He had nine points in the last game against Xavier to lift them to victory. He had a whopping zero points in each of the previous three games combined. So Creighton has been very inconsistent with that regard, but good news is you get to go up against a Georgetown team that's been just absolutely awful in terms of both being able to hit the glass and in terms of their defense. For Georgetown, you do have some Supreme Cook, who's been able to give you 8-plus rebounds per game, but that's that you don't have a lot there. Georgetown, as a result, they're about 183rd in the country with regards to rebound rate. They're going up against a Creighton team that's more around 34th, and Creighton has really done a nice job of being able to guard the arc. They're a top 75 team with regards to opponents' three-point shooting percentage. Teams are only shooting about 30 or so percent from three-point range at home against them, and for Georgetown, you just haven't been able to get a lot of consistent offense. 190th in the country in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. It just has to be Jaden Epps doing a bit of everything for the team. 17.5 points, 4.5 assists, only shoots about 31% from three-point range, and he's had single digits in now two out of the last three games. You don't have anyone other than Dontre Styles who's been able to supply the team with worth of 11.5 points per game. Styles shoots about 36.5% from three-point range, and to the credit of Georgetown, they've been able to tone it down a little bit with the turnovers, 12.5 turnovers per game, and for Creighton, in terms of turnovers forced on a per-possession basis, they actually won the lesser teams in all of college basketball. That said, I do think that this Creighton team going to be able to continue to bear down with regards to their defense, and they're just such a better team on defense at home uh, rather than in a road slash neutral court environment. As for Creighton, overall, they're about 77th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. Going up against the Georgetown team that, again, they leave a lot to be desired here. 316th, but thing, thing I can say for Georgetown is they give up pretty much the same amount of points per possession at home rather than in a road slash neutral court environment, but here at 17, I'm going to be one late. I did set Creighton as an 18-point favorite, and in terms of the total, I did set it at a 148. Jaden Epps has been very inconsistent for Georgetown with regards to their offense, and this Georgetown team, they just haven't been able to generate much. 70 points or fewer in four of the last five games going up against Green team that I do think that they're going to find it a little bit more with regards to that defense. So I'm going to be looking at the under, and I'm going to be willing to lay it with Creighton. 631-632 on the Bangor Tennessee Tech plays us to Tennessee State, and Tennessee State is a road favorite of three points. Totals between 136 and 136F. I did set my number at three as well, so we're going to be awaiting a little bit of line movement here. I was seeing some very early numbers where we were seeing a little bit more of a three and a half, and if we can get back to a three and a half, that would be my minimum buy point on Tennessee Tech. With Tennessee Tech, it has been a rough year for them all season, but Javius Harvey has been able to give you 15 points per contest. He's able to shoot it a little bit from three points for a Tennessee Tech team as well outside the top 275 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and Tennessee State is a top 80 team with regards to their three-point shooting defense. The big thing for Tennessee State has been their rebounding, as they just don't have anyone other than Jason Gibbido, who does come in from Florida. He's able to give you darn near five rebounds per game and has been very rock solid in terms of being able to generate multiple blocks per contest, but that said, this is just a whole bunch of guards coming together. You've been able to get good production out of guys like EJ Bellinger, Keenan Hodges, you're able to throw in there guys like a Cameron Brown, Jalen Jones, all four of those guards I've listed. They're pooling together for about 45 or so points per contest. They all seem to give you about three and a half to five rebounds per game. Brown has been your 
main three-point shooter at 41.8% for a team that they turn the ball over 12 and a half times for contest. They shoot about 34.5% for three-point. They're slightly below average offense at all of college basketball, but it's nothing bad for them. But the big thing for Tennessee State is not getting just completely rolled on the glass. As for Tennessee State, they're 247th in the country with regards to rebound rate. Tennessee Tech, they're more on 347th. So that's been a big issue for them. But where Tennessee Tech has been able to step up just a little bit is taking care of the ball. About 11.8 turnovers per game. That's not too shabby. While dealing with the injury, no less to David Early, who was one of your top three-point shooters at about 37% from distance, 14.5 points per game, but they've been able to get quite a bit out of the return of Deontay Wood, someone who's been quite banged up but has put in their double figures in three of the team's last four games. And for Tennessee State, this team has been really looking to throttle down with regards to their tempo. It's a squad that has scored now 68 points or fewer in three out of their last five games. Meanwhile, for Tennessee Tech, it's been rough for them on offense as well. 71 points or fewer in four out of their last five games, but the defense defense has been able to come alive a little bit as well. They had one really bad showing against Southeast Missouri State where they just got completely bludgeoned, but 74 points or fewer surrendered in all but one game since they took on Tennessee State. That was on January 18th, a game in which they just got blown out 85-53 to in that game. Tennessee Tech shot 1 of 17 from 3 points, 12 of 21 for Tennessee State. You don't want to make too much out of a one-game sample size. I can tell you right there that that is a big, giant outlier, and I do think that for Tennessee State, them being so inconsistent on the road, allowing opponents to shoot 36% from three compared to 26% at home. I do think the Tennessee Tech is going to be able to remain lively. I did set my line at three, so if we can go north of three, that'll be my buy point on Tennessee Tech. Anything less than three, one delay with Tennessee State, and I did set my 12 139. I do think that we're going to see Tennessee Tech go a little bit better than one of 17 from three, and it is a Tennessee Tech team that only been a little bit more respectable on defense. I do think that they're going to have a tough time matching up with the size of Jibido and company for Tennessee State, so looking at the over, and at anything north of three, taking the points with Tennessee Tech, six 634 on the betting board. Wisconsin plays us to Ohio State. The Ohio State University is a underdog of nine points. So now this game is 139. Boy, is this Wisconsin team sliding. They have lost four straight games, and I do think that they get back on track. I just can't lay this big of a number with a Wisconsin team that, as we know, they're in the bottom 35 in the country in terms of total possessions per game. And this Wisconsin team, I think one of the biggest things with them is that their perimeter defense still is not stellar. They are 327th in the country in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage. That's better at home rather than in a roadside shoot score environment. Wisconsin, allowing opponents to shoot 33.3% from three-point range at home compared to about 40.2% in a roadside shoot score environment. That said, they're facing off against an Ohio State team that I think is going to be a match of thunder that you get down low out of Stephen Crawl along Tyler Wall. These two guys have been combined for 13 rebounds per game. Crawl is still shooting north of 45% from three-point range, by the way, but for Wisconsin, they've been very solid on the glass this year. 48th in regards to rebound rate after they really struggled their last season, but Ohio State is 64th in the country with regards to rebound rate, and they've got one of the best road rebound rates that you're going to find in all of college basketball as well. Zed Key is able to give you six-plus rebounds per game. Felix Opara, he's been able to chip in there seven boards, two and a half blocks per contest, so love what I've seen there now. For Ohio State, this team gets cooked from three-point range. 312th in all of college basketball with regards to three-point shooting percentage. It's not like they've been amazing from three-point range, though. They do have one guy in Jameson Battle who's really been able to battle. He's been able to step up. He's shooting north of 40% from three-point range. He's supplying the team within that neighborhood about 14 points per contest. Meanwhile, Roddy Yale, Bruce Orton, they've been able to combine for about 31.7 assists per game. And to the credit of Iowa State, they take good care of the ball themselves. 10.3 turnovers per game. Both of these teams very deliberate in their approach. Both are outside the top 225 in terms of 
total possessions per game for Wisconsin. They've been dealing with A.J. Sore being cold from three all season long. Last year at St. John's, shot over 40% from three. This year, shooting just 30% from three, but still supplying the team with 16 and a half points per game. They may do with Crawl being so hot from three, and then James Blackwell has been able to shoot 47.5% from the outside, supplying the team with eight points per game, but though I do think that Wisconsin going to be able to get it done in this circumstance. Last time these two teams met, it was in January. Wisconsin went on the road, won that game 71-60. to I do think that we're going to see both teams be a little bit warmer with their shooting. I say went 4 of 10 at the free throw line. That first time around, they actually won the rebound battle and both teams had a combined 13 turnovers. I do think that this game is going to be a little bit of a slog, but I also do think that this game is going to be close enough for some late game felling as well. I do think that Wisconsin is going to heat up with their offense, but I do think that an Ohio State team that gives up the arc, they certainly do give it up in this game as well, and I do think the both teams knocked down enough threes for an over. I did set my total at a 141 half, so looking at the over, and with Wisconsin made them a 7.5 point favorite, so we'll take 9 plus here with Ohio State. 635, 636 on the bank San Diego State. Please also Colorado State. Colorado State, a 5.5 point underdog with your total 139, and I did set my total at a 142. I'm looking at the over. Now, San Diego State has really been throttling down with regards to their tempo. If you look at the last 7 games, in terms of possessions for 40 minutes, because they had that game against Nevada go to overtime, they're playing at a rate of about five possessions fewer per game than they did in their first 17 games of the season. And Colorado State is well outside the top 250 in terms of total possessions per game, but that said, when it comes to Colorado State, this team is just very good at executing, as you've got your top two scorers, Nequan Clifford, along with Isaiah Stevens, being able to combine for 30 points. Stevens won the best point guards in the country, 7.5 assists to 2.3 turnovers per game, and they both shoot north of 45% from three-point range. Now, they go up against the San Diego State team that is one of the best at being able to guard the arc in all of college basketball. This San Diego State team, 26th in the country, an opponent's three-point shooting percentage, allowing you to shoot 27.8% from the outside, and for Colorado State, they have had a team that has been really giving it up on defense, this team as well outside the top 125, in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and when it comes to Colorado State, they do allow you some open looks from three-point range as well, 207th in the country, but they actually allow opponents to shoot 35.5% from three-point range at home in a roadside shoot court environment. This does no side bond down to 32.5%, and when it comes to this Colorado State team, they don't necessarily experience too much of a drop-off with their defense. They're 149th of the country with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis. They're actually allowing a tenth of a point fewer per one of possessions when they leave home rather than when they are at home. So, very interesting circumstance there. The biggest thing for Colorado State is just trying to play even up on the glass. Joel Scott, who comes in from Division II Black Hills State College, he has given the team about 11 points, 5.5 boards, a block, a steal. He doesn't really give you any three-point shooting, but he does the rough-and-tumble stuff that you need from Colorado State about 208th in the country with regards to rebound rate. Now they have to go up against Jaden Ladeves, giving you about 17 points, 7 boards per contest for San Diego State. This rebound rate has been one of the better ones that you're able to find outside the Power 5 conferences as they're currently clocking in about 99th in all of college basketball in this regard. But Lamont Butler, along with Darian Trammell, they're combining for about 17 to 18 points per game. They just haven't necessarily been too tremendous for the C-man. They go up against Colorado State team as amazing at taking care of the ball. 10.3 turnovers per game out of them. You've been able to have Patrick Cartier shoot 40.5% from three-point range. They've dealt with a few injuries throughout the season to the likes of Josiah Strong and company, but this team is stronger because he is now out there on the floor. And for Colorado State, while they do experience a little bit of drop-off with their offense when they're away from home, it's still not bad. They're still generating 108.2 points per one-hour possessions when they are in a roadside shoot record environment. And that's one of the better marks that you're going to find in all of college basketball. As a matter of fact, that's a top 25 mark in all of college basketball. I do think that they're going to be able to continue to hit shots despite the fact that the San Diego State team 
defense is so good. I did set my total at a 142 as a result. I'm looking at the over. I think that this is nip and duck enough for late game felling. Set my line at four. I'm willing to take the five to five and a half with Colorado State and the over. 637, 638 on the bank board. Kentucky plays those two. Mississippi. Ole Miss is a underdog of eight to eight and a half points. Total on this game, it is between 164 and a half and 165. I might be a schmuck for doing this, but I do think that this is at last going to be the bounce back spot for Kentucky. I made it a write-up pick on Saturday. Not going to be doing so this time around. They are not worthy of that sort of trust, but for Kentucky, this team still is doing a really good job of being able to execute on offense. They did not lose that game against Gonzaga because their offense was lacking, and especially with the fact that now you've got back in the fold one of your main guys from the beginning part of the season, Abdul Thierro. It does make this team all the more versatile and all the more deep. You've got Ahmad Brad He's able to give you a nice skill set. Six points, four and a half boards at seven feet tall. He's able to pop some threes. Sierra, he's had a few double-doubles this year. He gives you a block. Shoots 36% from three. And for Kentucky, top 10 team in all of college basketball in terms of three-point shooting percentage at 41%. But... Even when the threes don't fall, you know that you're going to get good possessions out of them because Kentucky is a top eight team in the country in terms of fewest turnovers on a per possession basis. Feels like DJ Wagner has been able to pick it up a little bit after towards the beginning part of the season. He was a little bit rough, was limited to 14 minutes in that game against Gonzaga, though. You do want to be noting that, but I mean, even if he's not necessarily full goal and giving you a whole bunch of minutes, you know what Robert Dillingham is able to bring to the table. I do think that Reed Shepard sees a drop off with his 42% three point shooting, but he's still giving you 12.5 points per game while Antonio is your primary score at 20 points per game. And for Ole Miss, you just expected more from this team down low. You've got Musa, Seasage, Marion, Sharp. They are still, with those two giants of the earth, outside the top 130 with regards to the rebound rate. They've been able to come behind for four blocks per contest, so the interior defense has been relatively solid there. But for Ole Miss, it turns the points a lot on a per-possession basis. I mean, it's not like it's at the level where I would say it's ghastly, but at the same time, it is one that I thought was going to be significantly better. Mississippi is currently, in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, 146th in the country, and they're giving up 15 points more per 100 possessions in a roadside church core environment rather than at home. Now, Kentucky is 170th in the country. There's points allowed on a per-possession basis, and Kentucky is allowing both a lot of points in the paint for one and two. They just aren't generating any turnovers whatsoever. I will say the one thing that Kentucky has been able to do is that they've been able to guard the arc. They're about 90th in all of college basketball in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage. And Ole Miss, to my surprise, they have been a bunch that has been really relying upon the three ball this season. I was thinking that with their roster that they would be looking a little bit more down low. But for Ole Miss, they're shooting about 38.7% from three-point range. That is a top 35 mark in all of college basketball. Really, other than Alan Flanagan, who's only shooting about 30% from three-point range, among your top six scorers, every one of them shoots at least 36.8% from three-point range. Has made at least one three this year with Matthew Morrell leading the way with about 17 points per contest. And Ole Miss, they've been able to do a very good job of just being able to have some good free-flowing offense, about 10.2 turnovers per contest. It's an Ole Miss team that... Is actually right around 78th in the country in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, but it can be a little bit streaky with this team, with them really not being able to take too much of a foothold down low, and with Ole Miss not trying turnovers the way that they have in the past, I do think that Kentucky could be able to get it done, and I do expect Kentucky to be able to give you a little bit of a better defensive effort going up against an Ole Miss team that they themselves have been held to 71 points or fewer in two of their last four games. I do think that Kentucky is going to get it through their skulls that they need to play just a little bit more defense. I did set my 12 
at 164. I do think that both of these teams see a little bit of a decline with their three-point shooting, especially with that being the only thing that Kentucky's doing on defense. So here at the 164 and after 165, looking at the under semi-total 164 and with Kentucky. Made the 10-point favorite, so I'm going to be one to lay the number. 639, 640 on the betting board. Baylor plays us to Oklahoma. Oklahoma is an underdog of six half points. So on this game, 143. I did semi-total 144. I'm looking at the over. Baylor is not necessarily a super up-tempo team, but... I do think that they're going to be able to heat up a little bit in terms of their three-point shooting percentage. Baylor out of conference was number one in all of college basketball in terms of their three-point shooting percentage, and they're still as a collective shooting darn near 40% from three-point range, but and it really has taken a fall off here in conference, but they've actually been a top 45 team with regards to rebound rate. Eves Massey is the only guy in the roster that gives you north of six rebounds per game, but he has been highly productive, and Oklahoma is sort of cut from the same cloth as well. Jalen Moore is the only guy that gives you north of five and a half rebounds on that roster as well, and yet Oklahoma finds themselves as one of the better rebound rate teams in all of college basketball. As a matter of fact, for Oklahoma, they've been able to clock in right around about 31st in all of college basketball. The big issue that you do have with this Oklahoma team is that the defensive effort is just not the same when they do leave home. They're 16th of the country with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis, but they are giving up about 10.9 points more per runner possessions when they do leave home rather than when they are at home. Meanwhile, this is a Baylor squad that they give up about 14.1 points fewer per one hour possessions, and for Baylor, you just simply have the better back, where A.J. Dennis, Jacoby Walter, they combine for 27.7 points per contest. Dennis, shooting 39% per three with six half assists per contest. He's been able to get good production out of someone like a Jaden Nunn, who's been able to give you about nine and a half points. He continues to shoot 40% from three-point range. Meanwhile, I was thinking that Ortega away along JVM McCollum would see a little bit of regression, and that has been happening. 26.7 points per contest away, still shoots about 46.5% from three, and for Oklahoma, they do shoot about 34.4% from three-point range as a collective. Once again, with Baylor, I was mentioning their home and road splits. That certainly shows up with regards to their three-point shooting defense as well. Opponents shoot 29.3% from three-point range against Baylor at home, 37% in a road-slash-shoot-record environment. For Oklahoma, they certainly do have their home and road splits when it comes to the interior. They've actually been very consistent with regards to their three-point shooting defense. They allow opponents to shoot just 26.6% from three-point range in a roadside shoot corner environment, but I do think that we're going to see that go downward just a little bit. I do think the Baylor is going to be able to do a nice job on the glass, and this is a Baylor team that I do think that they're going to be able to bust out a little bit more. They still have been able to get to at least 70 points in four of their last five games. It has been a defense that has allowed at least 68 in four out of their last five as well. Meanwhile, for Oklahoma, it's been touch and go with regards to the offense, but I do think that this is going to be a game snug enough for a late game following, but I do think that in the end, Baylor with their backcourt, they're going to be able to win out in this spot. I did set my total at a 144, so you're at the 143 looking at the over, and with Baylor made them a six-point favorite. I do think that this is going to be a game involving two teams that have a lot of similarities, and I do think that the six and a half has gone a little bit too far. The opener was five and a half years, so you're at the six and a half. That is my buy point on Oklahoma to go along with this total over. 641, 642 on the betting board. Louisville, it's a red face off against Boston College. And Boston College is a favorite of 8 to 8 and a half points. Throws between 149 and 149 and a half. I said Boston College is a 10.5 point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. With Louisville, we've seen some inspired offense from this team recently, but. I still do have a few question marks with them. Louisville has Brandon Huntley Hatfield, who's done tremendous work down low, being able to give a team eight and a half rebounds per game. But despite the fact that Louisville had those two just massive performances, 102 points against Florida State, 92 points against Syracuse, it is still a squad that has me questioning whether or not it's for real or not. Mikey James has been able to give you 13 and a half points per contest, shoots 37% from three par range. But Louisville is still well outside the top 125 in terms of points scored on a per possession basis as a whole. They shoot 
31.2% from three-point range while turning the ball over 13 times per contest. I'm not going to be prisoner of the moment and just buy into this Louisville team, especially one that's as badly coached as they are, just to due to two great performances. Now, for Boston College, this team is outside the top 250 in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage, so that should allow Louisville some open looks, but they just have no way of matching up with Quentin Post. A true seven-footer that's able to give you 16 points, eight boards, three assists, 1.8 blocks on 42.5% three-point shooting for a Boston College offense. Uh, they're in the top 35 in the country in terms of fewest turnovers on a per-possession basis. They really don't see too much of a bump at home in terms of their offensive production, only averaging 1.1 points more per one hour possessions at home rather than in a roadside shoot court environment, but they go up against a Louisville team that's outside the top 175 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis and a Louisville team that's getting gashed from three-point range, 248th in all of college basketball with regards to opponent's three-point shooting percentage. And for Boston College, Devin McLaughlin has been able to step up. He's been able to do a nice job, giving you about six and a half rebounds per game. For Boston College, you're about 180th in the country in terms of rebound rate. Nothing great, nothing terrible. It's a Louisville team that's more around 133rd. As for Louisville, they've been able to get some nice ancillary producers to be able to step up. Cy Clark is able to give you a few rebounds as well at the main point guard spot as he's been doling out three assists, giving you double figures. So he's been turning the ball over about three times for contests as Tyler Johnson has actually been able to give you a little bit more in terms of facilitation recently to help out the team. And for Boston College, it's a squad that has been a little bit rough with their offense recently. 71 points or fewer in four of their last five games. But while the Louisville offense has been able to ascend, the defense has been leaving something to be desired. They have given up 70 plus points in three out of their last four games and 69 plus points in four out of their last five games. So I do think that for Boston College, they're going to be able to find some nice open looks here against the Louisville team that really doesn't guard the arc. And really, both of these teams don't as well. So even though Louisville, I do think that we're going to see a bit of a decline with regards to our offense, I still think that they're going to be able to get to 70 plus in this one against the Boston College team that's relatively mid tempo. Did semi total at a 150.5 looking over with Boston College being them the 10.5 point favorite. So one to lay up to 10 with them. 643, 644 on the banging board. Florida State is on the road face. So you have it's Virginia Tech, and Virginia Tech is a five-point favorite. Your total on this game, it is 152 and a half to 153 with Florida State. I did make them the uh, underdog in this ordeal of five and a half points. So here at the five, I'm going to be one to lay it with Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech has been up and down all season long, but they do have the best facilitator in this game. That'd be Sean Padula. Padula's three-point eight turnover game. That's one of the highest marks in all of college basketball. But as a whole, Virginia Tech, they do shoot 79% the free throw line, 36% from three-point range. And overall, they only turn the ball over 11.8 times per game. It's a byproduct of Sean Padula just has the ball in his hands so much, so that's why you've got a lot of turnovers out of him. And they go up against the Florida State team that is 120th in the country in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. But very interestingly, they're averaging more points per possession when they leave home rather than when they are at home. And this Florida State team, they're certainly looking to run in and gun it. They are a top 75 team in all of college basketball in terms of total possessions per game. But Florida State, in past years, they've always been a team that's been really good on the glass. And you've got Jameer Watkins, who's able to give you 14 plus points, right around about five boards per contest, and Baba Miller throws in their five boards per contest as well, but Florida State is 251st in all of college basketball in terms of rebound rate, and that actually gives an edge to uh, Virginia Tech, where typically they aren't necessarily dominating on the glass. You've got Lynn Kidd, who's able to give you about six half boards, 13 points per game, doesn't give you anything in terms of three-point shooting, but under Couture, Tyler Nickel, both of these guys shoot north of 40% from three, with Couture being able to spy you with about 14 points per contest, Nickel more in the neighborhood of about nine points per game, and for Florida State, 
It seems it's not gotten a lot of efficiency out of Primo Spirits. He's been able to give you just a raw 10.5 points, right around two assists per contest, but shoots less than 29% from three-par range. To the credit of Florida State, they don't turn the ball over a ton. About 12 turnovers per contest, while they themselves are a top-50 team with regards to steals force on a per-possession basis, but I do think that for Virginia Tech, they are going to be able to find a way to be able to persevere in this one, despite the fact that they're about 166 in all of college basketball. In terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage, Florida State has been hit or miss with regards to their defense. They actually allow opponents to shoot 29.5% from three-point range away from home, more like 36.3% at home. I do think that that split is going to iron out a little bit, and I do think that this is going to turn into a little bit more of an up-and-down game. I did set my total at a 149.5, at the 152.5, 153. I do think that we went just a little bit too far because while Florida State is looking to impose their will with regards to tempo, this is still a Virginia Tech team that in terms of total possessions per game is 264, so diving in on the under, I also don't think you get a lot of second chances in this game, and with Virginia Tech, made them a five and a half point favorite, so one to lay up to five with them. 645-646 on the bagging board. BYU plays us to Central Florida. Central Florida is a 10 to 10 and a half point underdog. Totals between 142 and a half and 143. I did set my total at a 142 and a half. I'm looking under now for Central Florida. While they are a top 10 team in all of college basketball in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, they are allowing about 20 points more per 100 possessions when they leave home rather than when they are at home, but I do think that Central Florida is going to be up to the task here of being able to slow things down and make this just a little bit of a grimier game as Central Florida has been one of your top rebound rate teams at all of college basketball. Really, both of these teams has been as for BYU in terms of their rebound rate. They are currently 14th in all of college basketball. Meanwhile, Central Florida, they're more around 53rd, but Central Florida has a little bit more rim protection with Abrima Diallo coming over from San Jose State. He's been able to give you about two and a half blocks, right around about six rebounds per game. I love his overall game. They go up against a BYU team that, while we always emphasize a really good offense for this team, it's been a case where they've been in the top 25 in the country in both points scored and points allowed on a per possession basis. No question about it. They do get a big boost in terms of both of those fronts when they are at home and now they get a little bit of a boost as well with Fusani Traore. Being back to full, give you 11 points, about five boards. Was on himself the first few games that he's come back, but 14 plus points, five plus boards in each of the last four games. So now he's been able to find his footing once again. You got Jackson Robinson who's been able to give you about 13 half points. She's 36.5% from three. And for Central Florida, they do struggle a little bit with their perimeter defense when they leave home. Central Florida allows opponents to shoot 31 percent for three-point range at home, or like 36% in a roadside shoot record environment. So that is of concern, and that's why I did set a double-figure line of 10.5, so I'm going to be one to lay up to 10 with BYU. And for Central Florida, it's been a very sporadic, and it's been a very strange offense as they have failed to get past the 70-point plateau in three of their last four games. Jalen Sellers, who last season shot over 44% at Ball State from three-point range this season. He's been able to give the team 17 points, but he's only shooting about 31.2% from three, and it is a Central Florida team that they do turn the ball for 13 times for contest. It's not a BYU team that's going to be a heat-seeking missile or anything like that in terms of their turnovers, but they're a team that they can induce a few themselves for Central Florida. They're about 239th in the country in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, scoring 12.4 points fewer per runner in possessions when they do leave home as they've been very inconsistent outside sellers, although Darius Johnson has given you 13 points per contest. Nobody else really gives you north of 9 points per contest, and I do think that the lack of ancillary scoring options, meanwhile, for BYU, you've got so many guys like Dalen Hall who's able to give you 5 assists, 9 points per contest. You've got 
Noah Waterman, who was able to give you about 10.5 points. As a matter of fact, for BYU, you've got essentially seven different guys that give you nine points per game. I do think that that's just too much stuff for Central Florida to go up against. And for BYU, they've been able to do a tremendous job defensively at home all season long. So it's a circumstance where I did somebody total 142.5 here at the 143, looking under, and willing to lay up to 10 with BYU. 647, 648 on the banking board. Air Force hits the road face off against San Jose State. Old San Jose State is a 2.5 point favorite. Your total is 136. Since San Jose State is a 4 point favorite, I'm going to be willing to lay this number with Air Force. They're actually giving up fewer points per possession when they're in a road slash shoot record environment rather than when they are at home. But that said, this is an Air Force team that they were clearly exposed when they got into conference play. They had that one big triumph where they went on the road and they knocked off UNLV by 32 points. But past that, it's been rough. Now, I will say this for Air Force. They've got a nice big three. Ryan Petratus, Evan Taylor, Bo Becker. They're combining for about 45.2 points per contest. These three guys have also been able to supply you with about 15 rebounds. Taylor and Petratus combined for about 7 assists, and all three should have these 37.5% for three. You've got nobody other than these three guys. They're able to give you much of anything, though, and in terms of their rebound rate, once again, they're one of the lesser teams at all of college basketball, clocking in during 89th in the country. They go up against the San Jose State team that they play relatively slowly, but they're much faster than being sub-300 in terms of total possessions per game like they were a season ago. This San Jose State team, as well, has been struggling on the glass. They're about 311th in the country with regards to the rebound rate, with Myron Amy being your top scorer with 15 points, five boards per contest, and they really do have a big four along with Amy. You've got Tebek Ronair, Trey Anderson combining for about 24 points, nine boards, both combined shoot about 39% for three points, and then your main point guard, Alvaro Cardenas, is able to give you about five and a half assists, 13 points per game, and does shoot 38% for three points, but San Jose State, they do run some pretty efficient offense. They're only turning the ball over about 10 and a half times per contest. They shoot about 35% from three points, and then they've got also a big man down low that should be able to win that battle, and Adrame Dionge, who's been able to give you a block and a half, four and a half rebounds per game. He's really been able to come along and has been able to give this team some great production. When it comes to just being able to execute on offense as well, Air Force still just 178th in the country in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, despite the fact that they do shoot in the high 30s from three-point. This is an NSA State team that, because they are very good at being able to take care of the ball, they do average about six points more per one hour possessions at home rather than in a roadside shoot corner environment. And though San Jose State, right now in terms of points scored on a per possession basis, they're about 202nd. I do think that they're going to be able to take advantage of an Air Force team that really just has not been able to do the world's greatest job of being able to bottle you up from three points to 356 in the country with regards to perimeter defense, and that's where they get beat. I did set San Jose State as a four-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay this number in. With regards to total, I did set mine at a 136. We're going to be waiting on a little bit of line movement here. This started out more around about 137 after a 138 and a half. These are two low tempo teams, so if we can get past a 136 like we were earlier, looking at the under, and I'm going to be willing to lay with San Jose State if we wrap things up with 649, 650 on the bank board. Nevada plays us in New Mexico. New Mexico is a one-point underdog to a pick'em, and your total on this game is 155. Set New Mexico is a one-half point favorite. I'm going to be looking at them outright on the money line. Now for Nevada, this is a very good finesse team that does a tremendous job of not beating themselves. Nevada, a top 30 team in all of college basketball in terms of fewest turnovers on a per-possession basis, but this is a New Mexico team that, while they do such a good job with regards to their offense, this defense has been able to do a really nice job of holding up all season long as well. With regards to this defense, in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, they're a top 25 team in the country, and for New Mexico, this team does a really nice job of getting after it on 
the glass. JT Toppin, Alvon Nelly Jr. Joseph have been able to combine for about 16 and a half rebounds per game while Nevada. They very much rely upon Nick Davidson, and Davidson has been able to do a solid job hauling in their seven rebounds per contest. It is a Nevada team that they just need a little bit more down low to be able to win that battle. It's a Nevada squad that has two very nice top flight guards. Keenan Blackshear, Sable Spy with 16 points, five boards, four and a half assists. I really like his game. And then Jared Lucas is shooting about 39% for three pointers with 17 points per game. But now they have to go up against that threesome that you've got for New Mexico and Donovan Dent, Jamal Mashmore Jr. and Jalen House. All three of these guys give between 15.2 and 15.9 points per contest. Denton House have been able to combine for about nine and a half assists per game while Mashburn plays a little bit more off the ball. And both House and Dent do shoot a combined about 37.5% for three points. All while New Mexico only turns the ball over 10.2 times per contest. New Mexico is a top 70 team in regards to total possessions per game. And yet they are a top 10 team in the country with regards to uh, total turnovers on a per possession basis. And last time these two teams played, Nevada just got completely punked in that game. That game was in the pit a few weeks ago. And well, Nevada was taken into the pit. 89 to 55 was final. I do think that we're going to see something a little bit different in this one as New Mexico, they shot 11 of 22 from three. Nevada, they shot four of 17 from three. While New Mexico shooting 58.5% from the floor. Nevada shot 34% from the floor. But I do legitimately think that this is a little bit of a tough matchup for Nevada. Nevada 37th in the country with regards points allowed on a per possession basis, giving up about 13.7 points fewer per one hour possessions when they do leave home. But I mean, for New Mexico, they're 19th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. And while New Mexico has a great home court advantage, this is a defense that travels. They're still a top 20 defense when they do leave home. So I do think that this is going to be a lower scoring affair. I did something total 151 half. I'm looking at the under. And I like New Mexico to be able to get the job done on the money line, set them as a one and a half point favorite. So looking at New Mexico and the under. And that will wrap things up for the Tuesday edition of Coast to Coast Soups, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. A big thanks to Rob Donaldson of the Rob's Best Show for joining me in the last segment. If you do like hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Soups, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment, idea, whatever you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways to be able to throw those in. First one is my Twitter slash X timeline at you underscore D1. Keep in mind, letters EM. Maybe it does not matter, so as per usual, please just send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire on whatever you'd like here on this podcast. I have that five star review coming at you guys every single day. Don't forget, guys, we'll see you next week. I'm coming at you with tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. 
But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. Today. 